Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Um, Last week we started talking specifically about this idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit. I put this table up as just a simple overview of kind of some of the major positions that are out there. And Todd had a good question uh, that I wanted to clarify under this evidence of the spirit baptism thing. Um, I said profession of faith. Really, the, the, the challenge with these top three is that the idea of there being some sort of external evidence is pretty new theologically. Like, um, as we're going to discuss here momentarily, it was assumed that if you were a Christian that you were filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until Pentecostalism emerged and we had this, this disconnect between the salvation moment and then there's some time that can pass and then you have a subsequent event called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that then they would say well there would be a proof that that secondary event had happened and in Pentecostalism it was speaking in tongues. So this didn't meant to, wasn't in intended to in any way be flippant or disrespectful to the Reformed position. The reason it says profession of faith, specifically within Reformed theology, is that um, in the Ordo Salutis, or the Order of Salvation, regeneration precedes faith. And it is uh, believed that the elect have been selected before the world was even created. So that you have a, a person who is elect, but they're not yet regenerated. And then at some point in their life, and I'm going to use a term that I don't know they would use, but their regeneration is activated. Or there's something that happens. I guess statistically speaking, it would be hearing the gospel. Then they are regenerated. They then believe. They then profess with their mouth that Christ is Lord or you know, do, do the things that we associate with becoming saved. And because the salvation experience and the Holy Spirit baptism are one in the same, they're simultaneous, you would not be able to say that you trust in Christ for your salvation if you weren't filled with the Holy Spirit yet. That's why I said profession of faith was the sign, basically. So it's just basically saying, when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit together the same time. That's what that meant. Does that help clarify, Todd, for you since you asked the question? And anybody else have any questions about that? Um, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just... When you say profession of faith, that to me is saying that you're 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 saying you're saying that you're saying you are saying that you are saying that you are saying that you are saying that you Yeah, the only reason why these two, I I just made them distinct, is that in both of these instances, you can forfeit your salvation. In this one, you cannot. So, since you can't forfeit your salvation, if you believe, you will always believe, so therefore you will always have the Holy Spirit. In these, they would say that if you're not that it's possible that you're not bearing fruit, you're not showing 
movement towards Christ's likeness, so perhaps you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm trying to say as a distinction there. But yes, this I'm not trying to say that you say some external words that are magic and that means you have the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying that when you've said, you know, when you become a believer, if you will, you have the Holy Spirit. That They're one and the same. Does that make sense? So the first two, mm-hmm. the last three are pretty easy to figure out, okay, who, what churches do that? Mm-hmm. You know, because of who that, what, what they're labeled as. In the first two, is traditional the Catholic Church? No, well, first, the traditional is, I leave that a little vague because this would be the ancient church. So then at the Great Schism in 1054, it would split between Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism. But then this would still be active, like, this would still, in some degree, be how Orthodoxy and Catholicism looks at it today, although you now have Charismatic Catholics. So that's muddied those waters a little bit. But I'm just saying, this is like, Ancient church view. Okay. So we would, this church would fall in the second one. Yes, we we would fall here. Uh, we would fall here, and we would be somewhat. Uh, we would be this actually, probably. <laughs> that, that we were loosely sensationalist. Cessationist, yes. That's what Pastor Wayne said is our official position. Yes. It's like a sanctification process. Like uh, we are in, in a process of sanctification always, all the time? No. This, so uh, remember I said last time, and really I just wanted to clarify this because we're going to go through each of these positions in a lot of detail, and starting with this one today. Mm-hmm. But at the Protestant Reformation, a notion gets introduced theologically that didn't really exist before, and that was the concept that salvation is a moment in time. There's a, so we ask a question that makes total sense to us as Westerners. We say, are you saved? Or when were you saved? When were you saved? Let me hear your testimony. That would have made no sense to the ancient church. They would have no idea what you're talking about. There wasn't a moment in time when you're saved. You are being saved if you're in Christ. Does that make sense? So because there's a moment, like, because, and like even now, there's a bunch of, like, if you read you know, Gospel Coalition, or you go to some of their conferences or listen to some of their recorded conferences online. Basically, Reformed theology today has has basically caused, there's a theological term called justification. Justification and salvation are synonyms today in Reformed theology, which is even more of this idea that it's a, the judge, it's a legal term. Judge slams the gavel, not guilty. You're justified. So I'm not saying trying to paint that in a light. I'm just saying since that time, if you're saved at a moment in time, then you receive the Holy Spirit at that moment in time. That's the whole idea of profession of faith. And you will retain the baptism of the Holy Spirit all the way through your earthly death and then your resurrected body and then when you enter eternity. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it just makes me think of Doctor Who. But um, I haven't. So it says in Second Corinthians. Just to, I don't want to interrupt you, but in Second Corinthians five seventeen, we have this idea that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right. 
Okay, that's regeneration. We are made new in Christ. And we're born again. Exactly. So in Reformed theology, you're regenerated, then you believe. You don't believe and thus are regenerated. Faith is the second thing that happens. You are made new, and because you're new, you believe. Versus, I believed, and then I became new. So the, the traditional one is that the second. The traditional view is, I believe and I'm born again. Scott, you don't clarify on that. Scott's answer is correct the way he's describing it, but, but the way the formal theologian would say it is, none of us can seek God on our own. Correct. None of us have the power to have faith. Correct. In and of ourselves. Correct. It is only because God equipped us and called us that we even have the ability to have faith. Correct. So the Reformed theologians would say that they're, they're the same. It is, I had faith, but only because God called me to have faith. Yeah. And so you would say, yes, I was regenerated that moment before I believed, but only because God called me to himself. If yeah. If he hadn't called me, yeah. If he hadn't given me the grace by which to have faith, I couldn't have ever responded to him in the first place. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Is but I think that you're the softer side of Calvinism. So like a John Piper, a John Piper for, uh, who's a seven-point Calvinist, because John Calvin's five weren't good enough for a Piper, so he's a seven-point Calvinist, he would say, irrelevant, like you're really regenerated. It, there could be a long period of time sure. between them, and he would even say, you may not even necessarily ever evoke the thing because if God chose you, he chose you. Well, what, what he would say is God chose you from eternity past. Correct. So you were always chosen. Correct. You just had no knowledge of it. Correct. You may not have even known who Jesus was. That's right. Until the moment you did. That's right. But God knew it when he created you. Absolutely. And he would call you to faith someday. That's correct. But still, unless you come to faith, yep. you weren't regenerated. You weren't chosen because you never came. To right. That's what I'm saying. This is the proof that you were the chosen person, is that you were a believer. You, And I don't mean words. It's like to not try to put this word profession as overly important. Well, you label and yourself in fact, as a you Christian. never profess faith, you can't get into heaven. Mm -hmm. You can't get into heaven and say, oh, but I was called. No, you weren't. You obviously weren't. You never professed faith. Right. So, Scott, right. This, this might be irrelevant given the discussion that we just had, but from a scriptural theology point of view, mm -hmm. is there any evidence or, how do I phrase this? The, 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 the continuous salvation versus moment in time salvation, which of those two concepts aligns most closely with what is given to us in scripture as it stands today? I'm not going to answer that because that's going to, I mean, no, no, it's not a can of worms. It's just obviously there's, there's now 500 years of history of arguing about that, right? So it's not something that's like, oh, it's, I, I can give you opinion. But um, what I would say is that, you know, the, the, this, that notion is, um, and I don't, I'm going to explain why this is not a um, diminishing its factuality in any way, but it's a logical inference. And I'll say that in the same way that the Trinity is a logical inference, right? There's no way that it says in Scripture, God is Trinitarian. It doesn't say that. But it says there's only one God, 
And then it says that God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. So if all four are true, if there's only one God and yet all three are God, then we can logically infer that God is Trinity. Right? We are Trinitarians. In the same way, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of what happened here is that similar type of, well, I see this scripture is true, and this scripture is true, and this scripture is true, and if all that's the way I'm interpreting it, then that would mean X. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I, I tend to lean on the side of the continuous salvation process. Okay. Based on the evidence in my sure. in what I've seen. Well, and and I don't mean this to be a soteriology class cuz we we can that's the doctrine of salvation. Yeah, that's the next topic. I'm just trying to show you I'm just trying to give you that if you're out there in the world of theology and discussing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is kind of the range of of views that exist and that scholars talk about in seminaries and things like that. Does that make sense? Okay. The way, the way that I think about it, and uh, it may not, is when you accept Christ, you know that in your mind, okay? There is, that transformation is spiritual. It is, the, the spirit man has been renewed, replaced, really, not renewed. It has been completely replaced by the spirit of Christ. Number two is we are being sanctified. To, in other words, we're moving with the saving of the soul. That's one of the ways it was referred to in the New Testament. It is a sanctification process because our spirit may be renewed. Guess what? All this ain't. Okay. So that would be the saving of the soul would be, you know, the mind aspects particularly. But ultimately we know that our body is going to have to be replaced. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We're going to get a new one. But it'll look just like ours. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, like, it's interesting. The, the top one says that spirit baptism corresponds with water baptism. And if we consider water baptism important in the Christian life, it's kind of already a built-in second thing mm -hmm. that a Christian does. A lot of people get instantly baptized, mm -hmm. I guess. But a lot of people get baptized like, you know, mm -hmm. weeks later or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's already a second thing that happens. Like that would be, I don't know. It's just, mm -hmm. it seems like a logical time. If there was a subsequent time of spirit filling, mm -hmm. that it would be water baptism. Mm -hmm. but the traditional view would also hold that in the moment of your salvation is the water baptism. Mm -hmm. So... So that guy in the cross was toast, huh? So, <laughs> so I, that's a, now that, that, that's a little concerning, because I, I came <laughs> to full profession of faith, what was it, like a year ago, a mm -hmm. year ago? Yeah. I, I still haven't been water Right. But but let me just well first of all like nobody nobody here would have thought that if you were a believer and you died before you were baptized you were going to hell. Right. That's not what this means. But there again you would have not gotten this you would have you would have not gotten this far. Are you hearing what I'm I'm talking to you so I just want to make sure you're with me. I got distracted. Okay. Up, up here, you would have not reached this far. It would have not been possible. 
Because see, like, for instance, in the early church, you could not join the church for two years. Because you, you had to prove you were really a follower of Christ. That this isn't a fad. Because you were probably going to die. You had to go through what's called chrismation. And so that's a discipleship process. Discipleship actually preceded your entry into the church. So, did the apostles accomplish that? Huh? Yes. Yes. So, when the corresponds to water baptism, does that imply, similar to transubstantiation with communion, mm -hmm. that the water baptism is actually a sacred thing? That's okay, so you're, you're, you're mixing stuff there. Because transubstantiation, the... the, 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 the no, because the doctrine of transubstantiation is clearly error. And it was... It was an attempt to explain in logical Western Enlightenment terms a mystery that had existed from the beginning of the church. From the ancient church. No, no. So, but they, the, the ancient church does not treat baptism and what they call the Eucharist, which we call communion, as simple symbols. They are not memorial services. It's not like, hey, let's remember that Jesus died for us. Let's take a little bread. They, the ancient church believed that was part of the sanctification process, that the very essence of Christ enters you and fills you with Christ's life force when you take the Eucharist. Now, what happened was the Catholics tried to explain what that means. What does it mean that we're taking Christ into our mouth? Well, they said, well, it becomes Christ. Well, that's where we go from mystery to we're probably in error now. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing like that in that No. No. Okay, let's go. Let's just, I wanted to give you all a bunch of key Scripture passages that r refer to this notion of baptism of the Holy Spirit that we will use across every tradition, okay? That um, as we talk about every single one of these views, these are the scriptures that are going to play a role, uh, or among the scriptures that are going to play a role. And you had said, uh, Steve, last week, you said, is there any place in Scripture where it actually says baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes. There are. There are seven, in fact. Um, they may not say the phrase exactly baptism in the Holy Spirit, but they will say things like baptizes in the Holy Spirit, baptizes with the Holy Spirit, etc. So the first one of those is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. And this is in the famous love passage, or right before the famous love passage, I should say. This is in the famous passage talking about, you know, tongues and some of the error that was taking place in the Corinthian church. Acts 1, 4 through 5, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but he in this passage is Jesus, while Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So there's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 11.16, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this next passage um, is long, and it's Acts chapter 8, and this is going to play a key role in Pentecostal theology. 
So we're going to read the whole thing. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, This man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. Um, sorry, I repeated that verse at the top, going to 12. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." Just going to let that soak for a second. Okay. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. He was seeing the Benny Hinn business model right away. He was like, This is good. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray for the Lord that, if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after they, after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, so... I'm not really wanting to comment too much on any of these yet, but I'm just pointing out here, in case you missed it, there's this group of people that seems to have believed and been baptized in the name of the Lord, and yet they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. There was a gap. So that's an important passage can we're going to have to figure out. Can you, um, I'm sorry, can you help uh, contextualize the, the, that part of the... The end of the first paragraph of that three-paragraph uh, scripture where it says, no, sorry, the second one. Uh, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Like, what's the yeah? What's the discrepancy there? Like, that sounds odd. Yeah, it does. This is some. We're gonna have to work through this, and we're not gonna do it right now. I'm just pointing <laughs> out. This is a key passage in. The whole debate around this notion of Pentecostal and charismatic theology versus what's existed uh, before that. Because you can see here that there seems to be a time frame where someone was a believer, they seem to have been water baptized, and then but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit yet. Yes. And the big question is whether or not that is normative for us today. Correct. Or whether that was period specific because Jesus was leaving and the Holy Spirit was coming. That's exactly right. That's the real question. Interesting. That's, the, that's correct. That happened after the Correct. Okay. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.